right. What's that? Oh, okay. All right, turn, if you will, to uh, one of Jimmy's favorite verses, 1 Timothy 1.17. Just a good launching point. We are continuing to talk about the attributes of God. Uh, we are using uh, John Frame's systematic theology as our launching point to, for our discussion. He's got a lot of great stuff. Some, some weeks we're sticking pretty close to his text. Other weeks I'm just running off on a tangent. But uh, we, we, we've, kept, we've kept very close to his outline at the very least. Um, and we are talking about attributes. We talked about his attributes, um, his moral attributes, his goodness, his wrath, things of that nature, uh, his righteousness. Um, then we talked about his intellectual attributes, the basis of knowledge, the basis of wisdom. He has all wisdom, all knowledge, all understanding. Um, and now we're talking about the, the attributes of power. And we saw, we, we spent a few weeks talking about his will, the power of his will, and how he has expressed his will in his decrees and in his commands. And, and we pray that his will will be done. But, but uh, we, last week we talked about how we need to pray for wisdom that we may know how to do his commands, how to do the will of God. So we're moving on from the will of God to talk about uh, other aspects of his power. And this may be an interesting way to look at this heading, but his infinite infinitude, <laughs> he is infinite, his eternality, his immensity, his... Um, Temporalness, his omnipresence, his unchangeability. Uh, these are all things that are going to fall under his power. Uh, and I hope that we can make that plain as we go forward. First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Paul, of course, has talked about the great mercy of God towards him. And he breaks out into this doxology, now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. He is the king, eternal. It's the adjective uh, that, is, uh, that is predicating something about this king. He is the eternal king. What does that mean? Well, by way of introduction to this idea I want to we're going to deal with this as he is the Lord of time he's the Lord of time I heard someone say well time has always existed and and uh, things of that nature no time had a beginning uh, just like space and just like matter, it had a beginning, and he created it. So, 
Theologians uh, generally refer to these attributes, uh, the infinity of God, the eternality of God, the immensity of God, and so on, as uh, metaphysical. Uh, in that sense, God's relation to the structure of this universe. So when we talk about, when you talk about time, when you talk about God being eternal, we're talking about how he is in relation to the structure of how this world is made. This world has a structure to it. It has a beginning, it has an end. Um, this universe has a beginning and this end, and he steps, he's outside of that as the metaphysical cause of it. The reason, it, the reason time is the way it is, and so on and so forth. Uh, then they may speak of it as incommunicable, since none of these are, can be predicated to the scriptures. Uh, we can say certain things is true about us and true about God, us being made in God's images. Those are communicable ideas. We have intelligence, and God has intelligence. Uh, we have intelligence because God has intelligence, and so on and so forth. But we can never say we are eternal. We are infinite. These are incommunicable in that sense. And we can, we, we, they also talk about these as transcendent attributes of God. Uh, since, um, since they indicate God is, is above or beyond, in that sense, uh, time or, or space or anything of that, that matter. So but what's important here to realize, though, is that when we're speaking of the eternality of God, the, infinite, the, the infinitude of God, uh, we're, we're talking about something that He is in relation to us. Uh, we just sung that song, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms, uh, that, that He is something as this everlasting God, this eternal God, in relation to us. And it is something that is known by us. Um, as we're going to bring up here again in a second, there are those that say, well, if you're talking about an eternal God, an infinite God, we're talking about something beyond the scope of what, something you and I can even talk about or something. That, but it's something that God has revealed of himself, of his own nature to us. And we're talking about something that is real to our experience. We just, again, sung the song. We are leaning on the everlasting arms. Uh, it, it's something that is real to our experience as we are, as God reveals himself to us, makes himself known to us, sheds abroad his love in our hearts and such, a, we are uh, able to, to sing the doxology that, uh, that um, Paul just sang or <laughs> quoted there in 1 Timothy, now unto the king eternal, to him be glory and honor forever, and so on and so forth. So, so uh, we're going to deal with that we're not going to ever try to set those aside. And we're, and we're seeing this as He is Lord. We're the Lord talks about His relationship to us, and He is in a relationship to us, a Lord of time. He is the King eternal. So it's related to His covenant, Lord, His Lordship covenant with His creatures that He has created, uh, and those of us that He has saved. Uh, that he is revealed as the infinite God and as the eternal God. Now, I want to define a couple terms here. Let's define infinity, and then let's define eternality. And then let's get into the business of talking about a very complicated subject. How many of you all, if I was to ask, 
would say, I am ready to talk about the infinitude of God. <laughs> no, <laughs> me either. <laughs> and I've studied this week, and I've tried, to, I've tried to get to where I can talk about it. So, so needless to say, it's a hard subject, right? We're going to try to wrap our mind, our tiny little finite minds, and our little temporal existences that have beginnings, that had beginnings, and um, we're trying to wrap our mind around the infinite and the eternal, and I know that's going to be difficult, but I hope this will, this will be a blessing. God is infinite. What can we say about God's infinity? First of all, I want to say that uh, this word in and of itself uh, does not really appear in the Scriptures, except... In Psalm 147, we have this, the King James translators chose to use this term, Psalm 147, and I'll get there eventually, I don't know why it's taking me so long, 147 and verse 5, great is the Lord. Great is our Lord, and of great power, his understanding is infinite. So, his under, so here, it's not necessarily applied about God, but it is applied about his understanding, a faculty of God uh, that he has. So it relates more to his omniscience, uh, his intellectual attributes, than his attributes of power. Uh, so Greek philosophers had come along and talked about this matter of him being infinite, Now I'll go ahead and write this word down. Um, of his matter of being infinite as, uh, as either a negative concept, the absence of definite characteristics, there is nothing, or it's, it's something that is infinite, or a positive one existing far beyond our reality uh, that it cannot be named. Uh, existentialist philosophers, for instance, like uh, Alberto Camus, uh, would say God is infinite, uh, and therefore we cannot name or define anything about God. This is kind of the non-Christian view of transcendence that we talked about a long way, a long time ago. Uh, this idea that God is so transcendent, He has nothing to do with this world, or as Dostoevsky's character in. Uh, and the brothers Karamazov said, I believe that, I, I don't deny that there is a God, I just deny that this is his world. Um, so that's, that's this non-Christian view of transcendence that is built upon this Greek philosophical idea of what it means to be infinite. But what do we as Christians mean when we talk about God being infinite? Uh, well, when we're talking about him being infinite, we have these attributes that we we uh, use of God, we talk about God as, let me use a different color, well, one that can be seen, as uh, omni, or sometimes we'll use M, think of some of the omni things, omnipresence, omnipotence, uh, or immortal, uh, the, the, these are, the, these these uh, prefixes here describe us, us attributing an infinite, uh, 
equality to God or to whatever, whatever aspect of God we happen to be speaking about. So, in other words, when we're talking about God being infinite, we are talking about God's perfection in whatever aspect we happen to be talking about. He is infinite in understanding, he is infinite in power, he is infinite, uh, so on and so forth. So we're talking about the perfection of God or the perfection of any specific kind of attribute of God. That's what we mean by infinite. Uh, so we do not have a non-Christian view that he is infinite, therefore not part of our experience, infinite so that he cannot be named, infinite so he is transcendent in the sense of not being known or able to be known. Uh, but infinite is what is the term that we're going to use for the perfection of God. So John Frame here says, we should therefore understand God's infinity in either both of these ways. God is free from the limitations implicit in creaturely existence. So we're limited in power. He is not limited in power. Uh, we're limited in knowledge. He is not limited in knowledge. Uh, so on and so forth. We're limited in life. He's immortal. <laughs> he is not limited in life. So that's what we mean by infinite. Yes, brother. No, he's not. He, he, has, he has power, but he is not omnipotent. There is a limit. Yes. So the devil, his power ends where God <laughs> ends wherever God decides it ends. Uh, we saw that in Job uh, and in other instances in the scripture that the devil could only go as far as uh, the Lord would allow him to go. Uh, so the devil is not all-powerful. Uh, there is not a yin and a yang in the universe, and whereby there is a struggle. There is one that has that that is perfect in power, perfect in knowledge, and that's what we mean uh, when we talk about Christians talk about God being infinite. It also that God's attributes are supremely perfect. So another way of speaking about his infinitude is that he is flawless in these things. He has flawless power, flawless knowledge, flawless wisdom. He is in, there, there is no limitation that we can put upon it, or, and all of these things exist supremely perfectly, if I can say it, if I'm saying that correctly. So that's what we mean by infinite. It's not necessarily a biblical word except for the use of it adjectively uh, in Psalm 147 about his understanding, but it is an important word for us to describe God. God in his perfections. That is what we mean by him being infinite. Now, let's go from one really hard term to an even more uh, harder, more difficult term. Uh, his eternality. He is the eternal God. So he's infinite and eternal. These are good words to describe him. Um, the Hebrew terms uh, had, holam, uh, kedem, uh, the Greek terms adios, uh, ion, ionos, uh, those are the terms that the scriptures use repeatedly. Um, and, they can, and sometimes those terms can even refer to finite periods of time. Uh, for instance, it talks about um, 
talks about Aaron being a priest forever or things like that, that that, 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 that may describe simply something of a very long duration. But there are times when it is definitely describing something made much greater than we can fit into a temporal box. Um, so often, often you're going to run into phrases um, uh, that to be translated would be to the ages or to the age or to, or, or, uh, to the age of ages. Often it's just translated in our Bibles as forever and ever and ever. <laughs> Uh, and the point of the structure of those terms is to, is to draw out uh, the fact that this is it's beyond our temporal understanding. Um, that there is going to be a point where this temporal life ends and we enter, the, enter into that which will not end. Um, in the Bible, the eternal use, uh, usually does not refer directly to God's nature, but to a quality of life or a quality of punishment. We talk about eternal life or eternal death. We talk about a, um, a, a eternal punishment and things of that nature, and it speaks of the quality of those things. But sometimes it is referred to, it is an adjective that is directly attributed to God. And let's look a few of those places. Genesis chapter 21, going back to the beginning. Genesis 21 and verse 33, which says, And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, the, the Holom, the everlasting uh, God. He is the God which is everlasting. And this is, attributed, this is attributed to him again in Deuteronomy 33. Let's just run through a couple texts here real quick. Deuteronomy 33. Uh, verse 27, so we're attributing a quality or a specific quality to God. Verse 27, Deuteronomy 33, 27, the eternal, Kedem, the eternal God is thy refuge. So we're attributing something and we're attributing something very important. That same thing is being attributed in that song we just sang, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. Uh, so, something true is being attributed to God. Now let's go to the New Testament. Um, Romans chapter 1, we should know this almost by heart, uh, as much as we spend in the book of Romans, and rightly so. Um, in verse 20, uh, the invisible things of him, so these things that you cannot measure or or, or, or or see or, um, or, or quantify in any way for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power, his eternal adios, his eternal power and Godhead. So here we are attributing this idea of eternality to the power which he has in one other place ephesians chapter 3 um, and there are many different places that you and i could look uh, we're just going uh, just hitting a couple here ephesians chapter 3 and verse 11 
Here we have the eternal power in the New Testament. Here we have the eternal purpose, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And of course, that is peering deep into the very nature of God as He has revealed it to us, His purposes. And there are many other things like that as that attributed to God. We saw Him being the King Eternal or the Eternal King. Uh, we talk about the Eternal Spirit in Hebrews 9.14. Now, let's talk about the difficult things. So we looked at it scripturally. Let's talk about it uh, a little bit more abstractly. And I'm sorry for even trying to deal abstractly here. Uh, but but I, I'm not going to necessarily major on these things. I, I, want to, I want to kind of get through a couple points here. But uh, there, there, is, there is a debate uh, philosophically, theologically, about what eternality is as a divine attributes. And... Uh, Obviously, there's a problem when we're wanting to apply Greek philosophy to Christianity. Um, um, Plato and Platonius and, and, and the people of that understood eternal reality as this timelessness of existence. Uh, so, so what do we mean by timelessness? Can we say to God that there was no before, no after, no, no, no kind of temporal understanding uh, that, there, that there is no change. Yeah, we, we can in a certain sense, uh, but when the Greeks were talking about those ideas, they understood something very different. Uh, anybody understand Plato's philosophy? No. All right. Plato had this idea that there's this world of, there's this world we live in where, you know, there's this concrete world, and then Everything we have in the concrete world is based upon this world of forms or ideas, and that is completely separate from this world. You can't get there from here. And that's how they want to ascribe God as, his, as having this timelessness of existence, and that creates all kinds of problems. So when, the theo, when we speak about God, we do speak about, well, God was before all things. <laughs> he... By him all things consist, uh, and, and things of that nature. There was a time where we were not. But there never was a time when God wasn't. Uh, so, uh, and this becomes important to various controversies that arose during the time of, um, of, of the early Christians, such as the Arian controversy, where they wanted to say, well, there was a, there was a time where the sun was not. That's what the Arians said. But God, the Father, is eternal. And there was a time where that, where that the Son was brought into being. And, and that was uh, the chief debate was surrounded that understanding about the Arian controversy and the deity of Christ. Um, I'm not going to get into some of these quotes here. Um, um, so we're just going to skip that. So we talked about the Socinians. The Socinians are kind of the father of the modern liberal <laughs> uh, theologians. Uh, they understood that God's eternality meant merely that God had no beginning or end. And that sounds good so far. But he is above and outside of time. And this may be called, or that he is not above and outside of time. So we could talk about his being eternal is God is above time. 
He's outside of it. He is not... uh, He is not temporal as you and I are um, experiencing the cessation of being. God's getting older, grayer, if you have the uh, Mormon understanding of God, God, that's exactly what you end up with, right? You have a God that, that, that came into being at some point, and he was growing, and he is maturing, and he... And one day we will grow and mature and be just like God, and we will be gods ourselves. Um, so, so that's an extreme view uh, uh, aspect of this temporalist view. But this is what the Socinian said, that he is not temporal, or, or that he is temporal, and he is not, uh, therefore, when we talk about eternality, we only mean that he had no beginning and no end, but he is enduring through time himself. All right, so clear as mud so far? <laughs> All right. So that, that of course, has necessary implications because we saw what came out of Socinianism was, Socinianism was things like open theism, this idea that God doesn't know because he can't know because he's enduring through time himself. Uh, so, and there are people that still hold this. And, of course, we saw at the bottom line what did they want to, those that hold these views want to, have a view of God's eternity that doesn't have him above and outside of time, but instead has him in time uh, because they want to make room for this idea of uh, libertarian free will and things of that nature. Uh, so, and that, that usually ends up becoming the bottom line for things like that. So, I'm not going to get into what others have taught about, but usually in order to reject this idea of Sassinianism, we that are on the more the conservative side that are looking at the biblical data we say no the scriptures describe god as eternal that he is above and out of time he never came he did not come into being um uh but he is he knows the end from the beginning and things of that nature so he is not someone who is outside of time i'm confusing myself trying to even speak about this issue um if God is timeless and eternal, it is difficult to argue. It is, if God is timelessly eternal, as, we, as the scripture, we believe the scriptures teach, and it's difficult to argue that God is ignorant about what is in the future because he sees all of time. Um, that, but ultimately, when this, the reason why this becomes such a hard issue to talk about is we think of this as, as we think of time, what, what, what did... Uh, well, I, it was, I think it was Augustine, and Augustine says, I know what time is until you ask me, <laughs> and then I'm not quite sure how to define it. Uh, so we think, we, we think of time as this box that you're either in or you're out, and we also try to think of this in the sense of God's relation to it as if, well, God's either got to be inside or outside of time. He cannot be both. Whereas the doctrine of the incarnation definitely says he entered in the time. Um, the doctrine of revelation itself says that in some sense, even before Christ was born in the, in the uh, manger and, and placed in the manger, <laughs> uh, that he has already entered time and entered into covenants with his creatures and, uh, and made himself known. Um, so 
it's a little bit more complicated than trying to just think of God being either in time or out of time. Uh, obviously, God is eternal in the sense that he is outside of time, knows the end from the beginning, but he's also the God that has freely chose to reveal himself in time, and we have to think of them both. Let's look at this scripturally, and let's try to get as far as we can into this, this aspect of it. Um, the scripture alone cannot ultimately, ultimately resolve the question of God's nature of his eternity, nature and eternity. It's something that is, that is mysterious. And I, I feel bad because Ken and I were texting a little bit this morning, and I said, well, it's a whatever we were, he was talking about, I said, well, it's a mystery. And I'm going to say it again now. <laughs> it's a mystery um, here. So, so I'm, I'm going to say whether God has nailing down the temporality of God or the atemporality of God, whether he's timeless or, or, or in time, is not necessarily something we're going to resolve by looking at scriptures, but it's a good place for us to start. We have fellowship with the eternal God. And he has a relationship in t with time. He has a relationship with time that we're going to say that he is the Lord over it, both as his creator and as controller. And he's going to bring, bring, uh, he's going to bring us through it. Um, Ecclesiastes talks about time and chance happening to us, not something that happens to God. Um, when it comes to us, there, the Revelation chapter um, 10, verse 6, it talks about there should be time no longer. What does that mean? Uh, that we're limited in our experience of time, whereas he is not. There will become a point in time where <laughs> the opportunity for us to do this and that is gone. So we experience time in such a way that limits us, but God is not so limited. Um, all right, there's a plethora of scriptures that talk about Christ or God having no beginning or end. Let's just look at one of those, and I'll give some more for you to look up if you would like. But let's go to Psalm 93. This is this, is this very lofty psalm, a very short one. Psalm 93, verse 2. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting, no beginning. Uh, well, let's look at one more. Uh, let's go to Psalm 102. I think this is a very important one to understand how God is spoken of in comparison to our limitations in this subject. Uh, Psalm 102, verse 24. I said, O my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. Of old hast thou laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as the vestures shalt thou change them, they shall be changed, but thou art the same, thy years shall have no end. So there is a vast difference between us and him in regards to time. Um, 
we got to remember the biblical writers were not, in fact, the biblical writers were way before Plato, <laughs> way before the Greek philosophers, especially or specifically the Old Testament writers. And they, they weren't sitting around trying to think of time as this concept, as this philosophical concept. Um, and, and they weren't trying to understand, understand it in those ways. To them, time was very immediate and very practical. God has given you and I a certain amount of days, a certain amount of years, and then we're going to die. But he will never fail. So there's no reason for us to, to, to try to look at the biblical writers and say, well, they were trying to tell us about the nature and the essence of time and things of that nature. That's not something that they were trying to do. Um, uh, going back to what uh, Augustine said about, I know what time is until someone asked me. But the fact, the fact is, is, is you and I, if, if we are able to use time and speak about time in a very practical way and we can understand one another, um, then we, you and I know what time is, even though we might not get into the minutiae of, of, of defining certain aspects of it, we know what we mean. I'm getting older. I'm breaking town. Uh, so is everything around me, right? Uh, my car door is already creaking, uh, screeching, and cracking when I'm uh, uh, there's already rust forming in the bottom of the bottom of it to things of that nature. Um, my house has several more boards that need to be replaced. I need to go find some new ones. Uh, I almost fell through the porch earlier. <laughs> uh, things of that nature. We understand the effects of time on things, and we don't attribute that to the, but we can attribute that to God. In that sense, He is eternal. So it's not this kind of box that we try to put things in. Um, we have good reason to have a good understanding of the transcendence of God on this, that he is not limited in no way. So we understand time first, that there is no limitation. So when we say he is Lord over time, he's not limited by it. So one... I'm sorry, no limit, no limitation for God as far as time. You and me have those limitations, but God does not. God exists before the beginning. When you're reading Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, the one thing that we can say about that is God already existed. Before time, before space, before matter, God was there. And he was there at the beginning. Isaiah 40, 21, um, for instance. Isaiah 40, uh, the beginning of the trial of the false gods that goes on about eight chapters in Isaiah. Isaiah 40 in verse... Have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? Um, it is he that sits on the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are the grasshoppers. That stretch. He stretches out the heavens as a curtain, uh, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, and so on and so forth. He was before all things. Um, 
Hebrews chapter 1 also brings back, uh, back to the aspect of uh, Psalm 102 that we just read. So he precedes creation. He was there at the beginning, John chapter 1, uh, the Word already was. Um, but then we have, we have this chronological scheme that begins in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, day one, day two, day three, um, the establishment of all the things that you and I know and experience and measure time began with God. Um, even down to day four where he says, okay, this is how you measure the days. This is how you measure the nights. This is how you measure the seasons. But God's outside of it. Those things had a beginning. God did not. Um, so he is prior to all the history. If God experienced time before the creation, we, you and I are not able to really speak about it because it's beyond our understanding. Uh, I don't have a problem with speaking of God relationally before the creation because he's revealed as a relational being. So I can speak of God as understanding in, in his very nature a before and an after. Uh, before he before he created, but whatever that is, it's not the way you and I are limited by it. Secondly, we are so so we're limited limited here as to the beginning and the end. The beginning and end too. We're limited in change. This takes in this idea that God does not change. Uh, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, O you sons of Levi, you are not consumed. Uh, he, he's the unchanging God. Uh, you and I change. We already kind of talked about that. We're experiencing, as we go through time, all kinds of changes, both external and internal. And that is not so with God. So we're limited in change. There's the, li the limits of change, the limits of beginning and end. Thirdly, there is a limit of ignorance. I don't know why I'm writing it because you all are so far away. <laughs> I need a really big board. But limit of ignorance. This is, God doesn't have this limited limitation as far as time that you and I have. Uh, how many of you all remember what, what you ate yesterday for lunch? I have to think about it. All right, now, let me give you a harder one. How many of you all remember what you ate two weeks ago for lunch? No? All right. Do you remember what happened September 16th of 1980? Nine. Remember what you were wearing? All right. You and I struggle with memory, right? And it gets worse. I don't even remember what I was just talking about. Uh, uh, Holly gets on me sometimes. I know this, this seems that, that you all won't believe this, but sometimes she thinks I don't listen. And sometimes, but, and, 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 and frankly, just to be honest, don't tell her this. Sometimes I'm just not listening. But sometimes I am listening, and by the time I'm ready to respond, I've already forgotten what she just said. And she thinks again, I wasn't listening. 
But this time I really was. But I forgot <laughs> what it was he was saying. I struggle. Now, you and I have a hard time understanding and remembering the past. We're highly fallible in that way. God's not. God stands outside of time. He sees all of the time, all of our time in one swoop. He sees the begin, your beginning. He sees your end, and he know he knows exactly what happened September sixteenth of nineteen eighty nine, with you, or me. He knows all about us. He he remembers. So he is not limited in that aspect. He is not limited. Is you and I are limited in our understanding of the future. Now, I can make certain predictions, um, which may or may not come true. Usually they won't. About 95% of the things you worry about will never come to pass. Amen. And those that do will not be as, most of the ones that do will not be as bad as you think they will be. But God has a perfect understanding of the future. We already kind of established that as we were talking about. And, and, he, know, and he knows the difference with, with equal vividness between Monday to what happened Monday, what happened Tuesday. He sees the process of all things, the succession of all things. You and I are, are kind of in the stream constantly. We don't know what, we, we can't really remember what happened before us with, with any real clarity. And we don't know what's coming ahead of us, but God sees the stream in its entirety. He is not limited in that. So he has a vantage point. He is the Lord of time. And I think I've come to the end. So I'm going to put a little... Before I don't... Because I want to talk a little bit about this idea. He's not limited. He's not frustrated by time the way you and I are. You and I are frustrated by time. All the time. If... Uh, well, let me take a minute to talk about this. If you and I... Uh, well, time will either go by too quickly or not quickly enough. Uh, sometimes if um, it, it'll go by too quickly if there's something that we're dreading that we don't want to do and what's happening, that's just the, the, those hours speed up and that time comes where we're, that we're dreading. Um, or, time, or, or there's something you and I just really have to get done. And we're running out of time. We're pressed for time. Or there's something we're really hoping for, and time's moving slow. <laughs> I really want this thing to come, and it's not coming. We're frustrated by time all the time. But we're going to pick that up next week. God is not frustrated by time. Uh, to him, a thousand years are as a day. <laughs> and a day is as a thousand years, and we'll talk a little bit about what that means. All right, we're going to stop there um, and get to uh, some things about his omnipresence and unchangeability next week as well. Any questions, complaints, or grievances? I know this is much more abstract than normal, but uh, any questions? You all got the nature of time all figured out? <laughs> all right. <laughs> One thing I know, I'm knee-deep in it, all right? And that preacher was taking forever this morning. Mm-hmm.
Yep. Everything you and I, everything you and I know about time was created, or God was before it. So. Yeah. Before Genesis 1-1, there was just the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in perfect fellowship for all eternity. I don't know, and if you want me to try to describe that, then I don't know if I can. I don't know what that looked like, but I know it was there. And uh, sometimes we just got to be willing to be silent about what the Bible doesn't speak about. <laughs> right. All right. We got about 10 minutes before the second hour.